This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Welcome back to Reclaiming Families. We are excited to be with you again, or for you to be with us again, I guess. Um, you know that we are on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, please, if you have not yet, rate and review this podcast. That's how it gets out to more people. Yeah, and this podcast is especially good. It's some good, a good topic that I've been interested in ever since we had our interview with Dr. Humphreys. Yes. And um, ever since you took a class on child development or human development. Yeah. It's one of my favorite class I've had so far, actually. I've always wanted to know, like, what are the stages of development? Yeah. What, how, how should I be progressing in my age? And how <laughs> yeah. should children be progressing? How should Ellie be progressing, our little girl? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, actually, ever since Dr. Humphreys came on the show, she mentioned something called um, Eric Erickson's psychosocial theory. And so we have gotten a lot of questions about, like, is that just a book or, or what is that? And so it, it is a theory of development. There's a ton of books out there, um, but it is just the developmental stages of life, the age groups, some of the, the tasks that go with it. Um and different things like that. And so what we want to do today, and we're no professionals, we're just going to go ahead and say that. Yeah, and also this is a theory. It's not, this is not uh, written in stone, but it's a, this is, uh, this psychologist, I guess, is it's I don't his know what theory is, of actually, all studying. But he's a professional. But I tell you, looking I'll, through the material, I've been like, wow, that yeah. is very interesting. And this is what a lot of the, the you know, secular and Christian counselors kind of base their, um, they're counseling off of when they talk about growth and development. And so it's kind of our goal. Um, well, first of all, I think it's important to say that one of my favorite things about learning science, um, whether it be about the human body or, um, you know, about this psychology stuff, I always see that when there is good science, it is always in line with God's word and his design. And so science and um, God's word, they're never contradictory as long as the science is good. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd say if God's word is true, and it is true, mm-hmm. then... Then true research. Then, yeah, tr- true research yeah, reflects the truth and mm-hmm. uh, it uncovers the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I think what's true, which is God's word, God's yeah. design. And so I took this class originally when I was pregnant, and I was just in awe of what... Cause each stage of development. So Eric Erickson starts in infancy. So he starts at birth. But we're going to be going off of a, a book by Barbara and Philip Newman called Development Through Life, A Psychosocial Approach. And so they actually start um, from conception to birth. And so yeah. we'll talk a little bit about that. Again, these people completely secular. There's nothing Christian about this book. Um, except for there is a lot of things Christian about this book because it displays God's design yeah, so well. And, yeah, like, I, you know, it is incredible. It doesn't give, like, the developmental tasks of a uh, prenatal 
conception to birth, but it is a it's a life stage yeah. and it's listed and children are learning in their mother's womb. Yeah. And we're just starting to, I guess, learn uh I guess psychologically what they are learning in their mother's womb. Yeah. And so And so um but bef- before we get going really digging into this Here's our goal. We would love for you to be able to find yourself in these uh, life stages, kind of see where you're at. We would also love for you to think about your children, where your children are at, how you can help them grow. Um, You can think about your parents, your friends, your grandparents. And ultimately, the goal is so that you can love and serve other people better. You can know the common pitfalls of the age groups of your loved ones, and you can help um, shepherd hearts to love Jesus and ultimately have a healthier, um, emotionally, spiritually, physical, physically, all those things, life. Yeah. And I was thinking too, of like, it helps me evaluate the culture and other people and myself mm-hmm. of where am I falling on the wrong side of development and where, where have I not developed well and uh, where are other people not developing well? And it's wild how this book really does, it critiques, you know, I thought psychologists didn't say, hey, this is good, this is bad, but this would say that I think industry, for example, is better than inferiority. Right, yeah. And uh, so it does, there are values, and the values are good values, and so we'll talk about them as we get going, but it's, and also, I hope that this conversation encourages you to look further into a child or human development mm-hmm. and it makes you say wow like there it just it's, it's kind of wild it's like all people progress through these stages of development that's right every one of us and so it's like or they incredible. don't or they don't or and, they don't and on that and it's note it's not good it's not good yeah. so should we define these words or are we gonna not maybe use yeah let, let's so each uh we have first off a life stage yeah and so the life stage um you know it's pretty self-explanatory it's like infancy the first 24 months of life toddlerhood age two to four and so each of them kind of go from there right. then you have developmental tasks so for example we'll get into infancy is uh yeah, maturation of sensory so and perception. So you're trying to you know learn how to use your senses and stuff like that. And then there's a psychosocial crisis, and that's going to mean what? Uh, the psychosocial crisis is like what happens if you do not meet the developmental tasks in the kind of environment, like a warm home environment. And so, for example, of that would be. Uh, and we're, and we'll I guess we'll talk about the infancy more, but it's it's the first one on here, so we'll talk about it right now as well. Uh, trust versus mistrust. So in those first two years of life, if a baby learns to trust, if if the cries are answered, if they're loved well, if they're hugged, you know, if they live in a, a good home and they learn communication and they have healthy attachment and emotional development, then they will learn to trust their primary caregivers, their mommy and their daddy. But on the opposite hand, if they do not live in a relationally warm home and they do not have secure attachments and and mom, dad, nobody answers their cries, then they learn mistrust. And so that is the psychosocial crisis. And until that psychosocial crisis is um, resolved, you really cannot go on into the next life stage in a healthy manner that's right and so 
Oh, sorry. Didn't well, mean. I was getting into infancy. So yeah. So I was going then, more sorry. the next, so we have developmental tasks, then the psychosocial crisis, which Hillary just covered. Then we have the central process, which is, I think, how do you get there? How do you get to trust? Right. And uh, so it's what do you have to do to, um, I guess, complete that stage of life? I don't know mm-hmm. if that's the right terminology. And then you have the prime adaptive ego quality which is what do you do if you do like well, this is what happens when you learn to trust trust when or you when you get that the good psychosocial quality yeah that's right so when you develop properly what you get is the prime adaptive ego quality and then so you, go ahead yeah, with sorry. trust you would get hope yeah i like this stuff this stuff's real good yeah so right. on the flip side if you do not you if you get into a psychosocial crisis then you have a core pathology and that's what happens if you don't learn yeah. your psychosocial crisis. And that is, you know, for example, withdraw. If you, yeah, if you gain mistrust, then you will withdraw. So uh, we're going to go into all of these. Yeah, and it'll be maybe a podcast episode two, three, maybe. I don't know. It depends <laughs> on how long, how fast we go through it. Yeah. But it's super interesting, and I hope you follow through because, you know, we're going to get to, you know, the stages of your children. We're going to get to your stage. Yeah. We're going to get to the stages where you're going into. Yeah. And, and so. again, it's to love and serve people. As I read through this, it's like, oh, what? Like, what about my parents? What about my grandparents? Yeah. What about my husband? You know? Yeah. And so right. it's not just to interesting, but it really does help us to love and serve others. That's right. And so, again, we're not professionals. We didn't come up with this on our own. So to do more research, you can look up. Eric Erickson's Psychosocial Theory. Um, and if you want to know more about the book we're looking at, it's Development Through Life, A Psychosocial Approach by Barbara and Philip Newman. Yep. So, so but we have read this textbook a little bit. And, yeah, I've read it all. Uh, we've taken some Cover notes. to cover. Except well, for, she has read last chapter, too. Because yeah. there was no highlighting in it, he said. That's right. So maybe she was supposed to. I don't know. Don't mm-hmm. let your teachers find out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Let's, let's hop into pre, prenatal. There's, prenatal. Okay, yeah, yeah, so there's not a lot of information as far as, like Randy said, developmental tasks, psychosocial crisis, but it is um, just interesting to note, back when Roe versus Wade was went through the Supreme Court, it's there was no ultrasounds at that time. There was not as much research done um, about babies in the womb, but since that time, there have been lots of research done. The ultrasounds come out, um, a lot of other studies about babies in the womb, and there's tons of people that know more about that than us. But it is important to know that most of the brain development that you will ever have in your life happens in the first nine months of life. Yeah. That's incredible. Yep. So your babies inside mommy's womb is able to start to recognize voices songs they're able to um begin that they literally are come into the world or come to the outside of the womb with an attachment to the mom who carried them and the common voices you know with dad being around or, or little siblings they come out of the womb already attached they come out of the room womb ready to suck and nurse um you know it's it's just incredible when you really consider that and so you know that's not really what we're talking about in this podcast but i just think that it's important to note that even the secular people 
now they acknowledge that life begins at conception, that more brain development in your entire life happens from conception to birth. And so I just don't want to not mention that as we're talking about life development. So let's go to the second stage, which is infancy. Infancy. And uh, this is the first 24 months, so two years of life. And uh, how about I go through the developmental tasks? Okay. And so what you're learning, what your child needs to learn, um, or if you find yourself as a one-year-old, what you need to learn. And how you can see that, too, in your kids. Yep. And so they're learning maturation of sensory, perception, and peripheral, and and motor functions. Yeah. So even with that... Um, you know, if you have seen like those never touch a dinosaur books or, you know, the, the like touch and feel animal books, like they're wanting to feel certain things. They're learning those kind of like sensory input. Yeah, everything goes in their mouth. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, like, like our little girl's learning how to use a fork right now. So those motor skills, their pincer graphs, trying to pick up little things of food. Yep. Goes on sensor, sensory motor intelligence, processing, organizing, and using information, communication, attachment, and emotional development. Yeah. And so, do you want to talk about each of those things? Well, let's just maybe hit some of the ones that stick out to you, I guess. Well, I guess this is sticks out to me a lot because this is the stage that we're seeing develop before our that's right. eyes. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. But even like the processing, organizing, and using information, our little girl absolutely hates getting her nose, her boogers, her snot sucked out when yep, she's sick from right. the nose fritta. Um, but she's processed it, organized it, and now is using it. And she's putting that little nose thing up to her baby doll's noses. She's pouring sippy cup water in her baby doll's mouths. You know, she's pushing baby strollers. Yep. She's able to say blue and, and do sign language. Yeah, she's communicating with us. Like, mm-hmm. she can tell us when she's all done. She can tell us. She doesn't do really more very well, but she can do, hey, I'm hungry. I want to eat. Yeah. And Mostly uh, just when she sees food that she wants. When we go to the pantry, she all of a sudden right. starts but, hungry, hungry. Yeah, but it's while she's learning. She's developing, learning how to communicate. And so um, she's also learning attachment. Mm-hmm. And I think that an emotional development, and that kind of leads us to the psychosocial crisis. Of, of a trust and mistrust infant. yeah and so that's really important within the first three months um i was talking to another counselor at one point when ellie was like three four months old and he was just saying like consider the vocal cords of an infant like when a baby cries when they're three or like one two three months old it's like you can't not go pick them up and that's kind of god's way of when their vocal cords drop a lot of times that crying is not the main way that they communicate. Um, but in those first three, four months of life, if they cry, they're always needing something. You know, milk, um, diaper change. They're hurt. They're hurt. They, they want to be held. They, um, yeah, there's another one, but I forgot. Well, but yeah, so <laughs> if it's, I mean, and so the central process is. Oh, wait. Go ahead. You and, we're going to do okay, them together. Okay, okay. So this is how they learn trust versus mistrust. Yeah. Right? This is how they, they learn their psychosocial crisis, trust so, versus so mistrust. So you're saying they gain trust by by their caregiver being trustworthy. Right. And so it comes down to their caregiver. Mm-hmm. And uh, if their caregiver, mom or dad or uh, parent or um, I suppose grandmother or anybody, right? If they meet their needs. If they meet their needs, that child says, I learned to trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think of this Bible verse in Psalms. 
and says, I learned to trust from my mother's breast. Yeah. And I think what that's saying is that I learned to trust because my mom has always been trustworthy. Her breasts have always nourished me. I come to them and uh, I can trust her. And so I can trust people. Um, and that leads us to our prime adaptive ego quality, which is Which is hope. with... Oh, yeah. It's, hope. It's hope. And so you, so, can, you can hope that your needs will continue to be met. That's right. I can trust mom. I can, you know, I can, I can trust, you know, that she, my parents are for me. And I can always hope that they will continue to trust. And they will continue to meet my needs. And, and, uh, and it's the same with the Lord. It's like, as you learn to trust your mom, your dad, you're priming the pump to later on trust the Lord. That's exactly right. And yeah. so uh, pretty cool, pretty incredible. But not all children learn to trust. Yeah. Not all children have good caregivers <clears throat> that uh, that are trustworthy, right? That put the, put the child's needs, yeah. um, elevate the child's needs. And so... And, and, you know, that's where withdrawal comes in as the core pathology. And, you know, a lot of us have probably heard stories about, you know, being in orphanages in other countries where... It's just like they're completely silent. You have all these babies in there and just silent. And the reason is, is that they have learned that when I cry, no one helps me. And so they've learned, well, then I don't cry. And they've learned mistrust. Yeah, I can't trust anybody to come. Yeah. And that's where, you know, trauma as a as a, a baby can, can play into that. Or a withdrawn parent can create a withdrawn infant. Um, but I think one of the really beautiful things to to talk about with that is the role of a parent is to create a... like One of the things for us, our family, and for reclaiming families is creating a warm home. We think it's so important. It's one of our main values is how do we create an emotionally healthy home? Um, emotionally safe, spiritually healthy, spiritually safe home. And it's just important for the role of the parents to be present um, and to engage with their children. And even from the secular perspective, again, it's a male and a female caretaker together. Loving one another is one of the best ways to create that environment for your children because you're going to probably love your children well if you love your spouse well. Yeah, And so um, one last thing about that is just the beauty of adoption and um, redemption. You know, uh, we talked earlier on about how you cannot move into a new stage without overcoming your psychosocial crisis. And we've known quite a few families who have adopted and probably one of these, you know, the mistrust was there before they were adopted, but uh, trust was built back in their lives. And, um, and so God can redeem the brokenness of all of these situations when it comes to uh, a psychosocial crisis. So yeah. maybe we should have said that in the beginning. But. Yeah. And so, but I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, you're learning hope at the very beginning of life Yeah, and, or withdrawal. And so, uh, so that leads us on to toddlerhood and toddlerhood is ages two to four, um, uh, in this book. And so some of the developmental tasks of a toddler, this is where our little girl's going is, Elaboration of locomotion. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure exactly. Um, well, let me go for all four of them. So yeah. then you have language development, fantasy play, and self-control. Yeah. So, I mean, 
the elaboration of locomotion, that's, I guess... Your movements. Yeah, it's not super self-explanatory because those are big words, but it ultimately means the more you can move around, so crawling, walking, you know, when a child is able to walk, they are able to explore. So yeah, that's they're like jumping. Yeah, you know. their world is just open to them. They begin to see cause and effect because they have the freedom to explore. And so that's where that comes in. Um, this book talks about how children who walk earlier on are actually... Um, I guess more intelligent. I feel like that is not a necessarily nice way to put it, but they just have had more life experiences that can put more things together than children who um, walk a little bit later. The language development, you know, that's where you're starting to put two words together, three words together, and then by the end of toddlerhood, you're able to do full sentences. Um, fantasy play, you know, you see kids um, pretending to be mom or pretending to be dad. Um, they're beginning to have maybe an imaginary friend. Um, pretending and, to be a cat, a dog. Yeah, yeah. A and, knight, you know, or a, you know, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, all that stuff. And then self-control up until, so all through infancy, um, the like self-control part of your brain, I forgot the word I'm looking for, but it's pretty much non-existent. So to tell, I mean, just today, Ellie was pulling my hair and I said no and I moved her hand away and she just smiled and put her hand right back in my hair. I said, no, do not hurt mommy. And then she went to the other side of my head to grab my hair. Yeah. It's like she just does not have that impulse control to not do what she's not supposed to do. But but that begins to, that's not fully developed for a while, but that begins to develop a lot more. They're able to not do what you tell them not to do yeah. um, in toddlerhood. I think of the, uh, it's those YouTube videos about put candy in front of your kids, put a camera <laughs> on them, tell them not to eat the candy, yeah. and walk into the other room. And so that's the kind of the stage of life where these kids are finally able to, they should be able to not eat that candy. Yeah, maybe the, and, uh, towards the middle or end, maybe not at two years old, but... But somewhere in around. there, and so... Yeah. Um, Anyways, that leads on the psychosocial crisis. So autonomy. So when you have these kids that have good attachment and trust um, from infancy, and then you add in this traveling around locomotion, they can communicate, then they're going to become more independent. And that is a good thing. Yeah, so. uh, excellent thing. So autonomy is just the ability to behave independently or perform actions on one's own. Yeah. Right. And that's what that's what these kids have to learn at two to four. They have to start to learn autonomy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that happens through imitating their the people in their home, the people that they're around the most. So imitating mom and dad, um, imitating caregivers, imitating brothers and sisters, imitating the people that are in their house. Yep. So the. It, Go ahead. The flip side, is that where you're wanting to go? Well, yeah, I was going to say, so it's autonomy versus shame and doubt. So if yeah. I can learn autonomy, I develop in my will. and That's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if I cannot develop in autonomy. Then you have um, a crisis. The crisis. Shame and doubt. Shame and doubt. And it leads me to compulsion. compulsion. Yeah, okay is the core pathology. So the prime adaptive ego, which is the good thing that happens, is you learn to will things. You say, I want this, I want to do this. And if you can't do that, if you don't learn autonomy, it leads you to compulsion. And so that compulsion is like 
you you all you know just the kids that might have just it looks like oh my gosh they're so not well behaved they just always do what their parents tell them not to do or, or things like that but all of that it leads to the feeling of shame so there's just this continual discouragement because there's continual criticism from their caregivers like don't do that you did that bad um yeah yeah i mean some of the notes i wrote down was some children fail to emerge from toddlerhood with a sense of mastery Mm -hmm. because of their failure that they're not able to be um autonomous at most attempted tasks maybe i don't know if it's tying your shoes or doing this because you're not good at it you haven't learned autonomy Mm -hmm. there's continual discouragement and criticism from caregivers like you're saying and some children develop an overwhelming sense of shame and self-doubt when they should have developed a sense of autonomy. Because even with that autonomy, it gives you confidence when you do fail at a task. Like, it's kind of funny because I can remember being in kindergarten and not knowing how to tie my shoe and like working so hard with the recess teacher. Because my mom, you know, she taught me the um, loop, swoop, and pull. <coughs> but everyone at school, <coughs> excuse me, we're doing bunny ears. And so it's just funny that even, like, I remember, like, not knowing how to tie my shoe and being like, I have to learn how to tie my shoe. That's funny. And then considering... Because that's the next age. It's pretty cool, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and then considering, you know, when you see a kid who's done something well and you praise them, yep. they're going to smile. And, yep. and so it's just so important. And I see that in time. Ellie. I see that when, you know, she's looking to know what she's done well. Right? Yeah. And so you clap for her a little bit. And so, so but I think in toddlerhood... Our toddlers have to learn. Toddlers have to learn autonomy. Yeah, they have to learn independence. Yeah, and it's wild. It's so young. It's like, but I, I feel like a lot of mothers would be like, or, and maybe fathers would say, "Oh, I've got to, I've got to take care." And this is where lawnmower parents are so uh, disastrous and mm-hmm. devastating because they're not allowing their toddler to be um, to autonomous. and yeah, fine. and that's going to lead them to shame and doubt yeah and this that i remember this was really interesting to me um we've worked with a lactation consultant actually at this point several times since um in the last year or so but she told me one of the things um and this isn't just for breastfeeding but anytime you know with a secure attachment when a child has a secure attachment they're going to be more free to explore because they always know that when they need something or when they just need that comfort, mom, dad, or whoever they're securely attached to is going to be right there. So go explore and then come back to home base. And that's where a lot of this autonomy begins to play in. You know, it's so wild to think so young, these kids, the best thing for them is to learn how to do things themselves Mm. and to not help them much. Well, to help them and to love them. But help them as they need it. Yeah. And so not to do things for them, but allow them to grow and be autonomous. Someone was saying, help them when they ask to be helped. And I've heard that's the terrible twos. It's like they want to do everything themselves, not able to. Yeah, and you get this fight. Yeah, and so I'm not saying it's easy. I've not even been there. I don't know. But Yeah, and he's not saying don't ever help them because at some point it's like you got to get out the door and put their shoes on them. But no. it's it's mainly just a let them explore and let them know their surroundings and give them a safe place to do it. It's not throw them out to the, you know, just, but, you know, child-proof your home so that 
it's the whole idea like if you have toddlers probably having the glass coffee table is not the best idea because you're always saying no 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 but just have a place that is safe for them to where you don't have to constantly be saying no 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 yeah and i like dr humphreys she was just talking about being a reactive parent where response a responsive parent that's right and so it's like the kids trying to do things let them just try it and fail and then they'll ask you can you help me mm-hmm. and then that's the point where you, know, you yeah. help them and that's that is you know showing them how and they're learning imitation that's right and so and that, cool. that carries on through early school age which is the four to six so the developmental tasks of the early school age um, again four to six is gender identification early moral development uh, self-theory and peer play so you know with that gender identification then that's when boys begin to really imitate dads a lot more and girls begin to really imitate moms they're starting to look to the primary man and the primary woman in their life to kind of see this is what boys are supposed to do this is what girls are supposed to do and i mean that's being really that's that's getting super muddy in our society today yeah, I want to say this is the age where people are actually coming in to confuse um, the mm. gender of children. Yeah, and, and I mean, gosh, this could be a whole nother that's right. podcast that I wish I already knew more about. But schools all over our nation right now are literally in first grade, in early school age, are coming in and teaching kids about pronouns and, um, you know, transgenderism and so i don't know we we well, go on and on yeah on. well we, we we hate that but what we're saying is this is the age oh, i'm saying, saying this is the age they're learning gender identification oh. and so i think it's also the age why people are trying to muddy trying it. to muddy the water at this point because yeah, the people that are trying to muddy it they know like it's not like they don't know this development stuff that's right they know that they're learning this and yeah. so they're bringing it in and saying, no, there's there's actually a lot more genders mm-hmm. that you can be when reality is there's you're a, a man <laughs> or a woman, right? A male or a female. Yeah. And uh, and so in the ages four to six, that's when you're really learning, hey, I'm a I'm a male or I'm a female. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also so. when you start to that moral development, so you start to understand what's right and wrong. Uh, we hope to to talk in a future episode about passing your values on to your children. But scientifically, it's even proven that values are received more so within the home than friend groups. Yeah, And cool. so that moral code that they're beginning to learn, um, they're starting to really personally take on the morals of their home at that point. And then you got things like peer play, you know, learn to play with kids, yeah. I suppose. And, yeah. and uh, self-theory. I don't know a lot about self theory, but it's one to look up and learn yourself. Okay, <laughs> yeah. and so, uh, but anyway, so if uh, so, the the psychosocial crisis of early school age four to six is initiative versus guilt. Yeah, and if you can, um, if you can, you get to initiative by being able. Like identification, being able to identify who I am. Yep. And if you can do that, you have purpose. Mm. And if not, inhibition sets in. 
sets in. And we're going to talk about what inhibition is because one thing this book likes to, this book likes to do is use these big words that I've never heard of. You've heard of inhibition, and uh, I've heard of inhibition, but I've rarely used. It. And so it is a good word, and it's a word I need to know. Yeah, you know, I need to develop myself. Uh, I don't know what stage of life where you develop in all your vocabulary, but. I think it's progressive all your life. And so, um, so initiative when this is done well, the child develops an initiative. So, um, an outgrowth of early experiences of the self as a casual, casual, casual. Yeah. Okay. Agent that continues to be demonstrated as children, uh, put themselves or like they start to put their themselves and their ideas or those ideas that they've always grown up with into their own personal world. So all these things that they've heard, they're starting to, again, own it for themselves. Yeah, they're starting to see that they can cause things to happen, right? They can impose their own ideas and cause things to change. And uh, and then they're learning initiative. Like, yeah. if I do this, this will happen. If I do this, this will happen. And that's where that... Um, that prime adaptive ego quality comes in when a child sees if then then they get purpose and so they feel like okay i i'm on a good track i know what i'm going to be doing and so that is right in line with that shame and doubt because if they're getting this continual discouragement and criticism then it sets them up for failure in the next stage right and i want to i want to read this i want to back up just a little okay, bit we're before we, up. we're we move on up. So we're talking about initiative. You learn initiative. Then you learn that you can cause things to happen. Then you learn purpose. And this definition I really like was purposefulness, which says, actually, first, thought or behavior with direction um, therefore, is therefore with meaning, yeah. right? If I mean to do something, I, if I have a thought or behavior and I purpose it, it's that's purpose, that's meaning. And then purposefulness is the courage playfully to imagine and energetically to pursue your valued goals. Mm, and uh, so kids are learning. Uh, they have these goals. They have these values, right, that we talked about, this uh, moral development. And they're learning to pursue those. And we as parents uh, you have to guide those things. Um, and they're also learning that that's who they are. As a man or as a you know woman, a male or a female, um, and so and actually all of life it can look like all kinds of different stuff, right? You have how do you play with kids, uh, your friends, and and so all the stuff they're learning, they're learning purpose um, that they can cause things to happen and they can impose their ideas, and it creates a sense of purpose in them. That's good. And so. <clears throat> then on the flip side. If that does not happen, that's when that inhibition happens. And, you know, inhibition is referring to that self-conscious restraint uh, or the self-conscious suppression of your thoughts or behaviors. And so, you know, that kind of goes back again with toddlerhood and, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, like, or not toddlerhood, yeah, toddlerhood, the compulsion, um, like those things are too closer closely related um yeah yeah i mean I, 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 you're doing awesome <laughs> okay my wife is great i uh she did she took the class but i have recently brushed up on the material yeah. and so uh um and, you know it's this good example that you don't have to go to school 
<laughs> to you, learn the material. You can read the book yourself. And so, and maybe if you're interested in read the book, you'll even learn even more. I don't know. but I was interested to read this book, but he did read it more recently than me. That's right. And so I'm just fresher on it. But um, So, yeah, inhibition. My wife said it. Uh, she, But uh, she says, or this book says, it actually occurs... So it's that this conscious restraint or suppression of your thoughts or behavior that you just don't, you don't, you just restrain yourself. You don't know how to cause things to happen. Yeah. You just, you don't do anything. And it's often because of high levels of love withdrawal and guilt um, inducing interactions with their children. So when parents do not love their children well, when they, when they withhold love and they withdraw from their children and do not take care of them, um, there's a sense of guilt that occurs and these children do not develop. And, and guilt is this um, cognitive perspective that, or, or there's this theory, cognitive perspective. It suggests that guilt occurs when one fails to act in accord with one's own personal standards or beliefs. So instead of these children being a causal agent that they can impose themselves and their ideas on their world, you have people that know maybe what they should do, but they're, they're, they do not act on it. Yeah. And it causes guilt. And it causes inhibition where they do not act. And they do not develop to the point where they these kids are, are good, casual agents. Yeah. Let's move into middle childhood. All right. We have middle childhood occurs from ages 6 to 12 years old. And uh, there's some developmental tasks. I'll go over them real quick. Um, so middle childhood, they're learning friendship. They're learning concrete operations, skilled learning, self-evaluation, and team play. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, this is the middle school years. At, um, and it's just funny to think about all what comes. It's, it's actually elementary school and middle school years. But, like, the friendships... And the different uh, turns that that takes from age 6 to age 12 is a lot. But friendships are developing. Um, That's when kids start to play on teams. You know, they might be playing on teams when they're like 3 and 4. But this is when they start to play on teams and they like really care about winning. And they're learning how to work as a team. They're not just standing in the outfield anymore looking cute in their little baseball pants and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I think my buddy's kids that they had no clue. They're playing t-ball and no clue how to play t-ball, work as a team. But they are just doing the peer play. Like they're they're still in the early school age, you know, four to six. Nobody's running after the ball, but yeah, yeah, yeah they they're just playing with their peers. But in middle childhood, you're starting to learn. Hey, we're you're a getting team. competitive yeah, together right. and and things like that's that. That's pretty cool. And so, uh, so the psychosocial crisis. Do you want to talk about any more of the developmental tasks? Um, concrete operations. Yeah, tell me what concrete operations are. I was going to have you tell us what it is. Well, I know what concrete is, but it's not <laughs> what I think it is here. <laughs> so, okay. So, so, I think you pour concrete, but... Uh, I guess concrete operations is kind of like the main skills, like the the activities of daily living type stuff where you're developing in. You can go to school and have your lunch and... Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I think. Yeah, we'll have to brush up on that one. But skill learning is like you're able to learn things that are um, more of a skill. And so it's not just... 
you're not only are you playing on the team, you're learning how to swing the baseball bat and imagine right and, yeah. and do maybe cursive and yep, and, lots of uh, skills. And then self evaluation, um, it's when you start to be able to say like, I did a good job, I did a bad job. I did a bad job and this is what I need to do to correct it and make it better. Or I did a good job and I need to keep on. Yeah. And so, That's yeah. cool. It's wild. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's wild. Like you could take a whole group of kids and they're all learning these things. Yeah. These core developments. Yeah. Lord willing. And so, uh, so then we move on to the psychosocial crisis. And that is? It's industry versus inferiority. Yeah. And so these children have to learn industry and if they don't learn industry then they learn inferiority yeah and so and let me let me move on so okay. and they're going to do it by edge being educated so they're going to reach industry through education right that's the central process that occurs is these children need to be educated in middle childhood and they that need to be taught does not necessarily mean they need to go to school and sit in a desk or something like that but it means they need to be taught these skills whether it be by a teacher or a caregiver or a parent yep and if they learn industry, then they... Let's define industry. I don't think we have yet. Yeah, let's define it. Go ahead. So that's just an eagerness to acquire these skills. It's an eagerness to perform meaningful work. Yeah. So it's just important that we define it. And I think it was funny. Like you were talking about, you just wanted to learn how to tie your shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And you wanted to learn these things. Like that was... In... Well, I knew how to tie my shoe by the time I was six, I hope. Well, that's By the pretty... time I got middle. Right. But it's that idea. Like you want to learn these new tasks. Mm-hmm. You want to learn how to write. You want to learn cursive. Or I, I don't think I want... teach cursive anymore, but... I did want to learn how to do cursive. I remember that too. Yeah. So, but... So it's just cool. You want to learn and these things. And it's funny, like, you know, first grade, or I guess it was kindergarten, you're what five or six in kindergarten. So you're not quite there yet, but I remember learning how to sound out like each letter, how the ah, buh, eh, you know. And I remember writing stuff where it was like bear, B-E-R, buh, eh, er. (laughs) (laughs) And so it is like you're just so eager in that stage to... To learn that stuff. Yeah. And so you got to be educated. And so if you, like I said, if you become eager, right, if you're industrious in... Um, learning new t- things, new tasks, you become competent in these tasks that you have learned. Mm-hmm. So if you're really, I think it's like if you're a good student, if you're educated well in this phase of life, you become competent. Yeah. And if you are not, if you do not pursue educated or education, um, if you are not pursuing these tasks, then you become what the this book says is Inertia, I think. And, well, you're talking about inferiority, and then oh, right here. inertia word. is what leads to the inferiority, or inferiority leads to inertia. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's let's define. Um, let's let's find inferiority first. Let's define inf- inferiority. So, yeah. so that's the psychosocial crisis. Yep. And it means inferiority is just feelings of worthlessness and inadequacy that come from two sources: the self. And the social environment. So children who cannot master certain skills, um, they experience some feelings of inferiority. So if you don't have this sense of industry, like industry, to acquire skills, to perform meaningful work, then you begin to develop these feelings of inferiority because you've not mastered these skills. You've not been educated. And so I imagine there's a good mix of this going on in all these stages. Like, yo, this, uh, you know, these months you're 
um, you know, you're inferior in this skill and then you're learning the skill. But the point is that children in this stage, according to this book, need to learn how to accomplish tasks and new skills and they need to be industrious yeah. in their learning. And you were saying um, that that core pathology, so if you're constantly feeling inferior, then you're going to go to inertia, which is pretty much just like the tendency to not do anything, to just be okay, not change, to sit back and be unproductive, be passive, be withdrawn. And so those are the students that, you know, instead of asking for help to be a self-feeder or a self-learner, they're going to be sitting back, you know, with a blank piece of paper, staring at it or, you know, looking at Pokemon cards instead of yeah. they're just going to not care about learning. Yeah, one thing the book said was it was not the kids that try and fail or it's it's the kids that don't try. Yeah. They don't pursue anything. And, and I think that really is a critique of culture. You know what I mean? I think the culture that I grew up in is a, um, yeah, I grew up in East Tennessee you know, and so in some of the small town and education was not really this thing that was sought after. I think we were still um, industrious kids and yeah, yeah. like all of my kids, all of my friends, very successful. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, didn't go to college, but very successful, yeah. more successful than most of the guys I went to college with. Business owners, most of them. That's right. And so they're very industrious. And so we as kids were, but I think there is also... And I can't remember, but back in this age, I think we were all learning stuff very well. I don't, I don't know of anybody who is really. I can't remember very well, but, but, but the point is that if there's a culture that doesn't value education, especially in this life stage, you're going to handicap that child. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing you say too is not just. It's like the learning in the classroom setting is not the only place we're talking about because if if you're a kid like you know you and your friends who um aren't really you know super thrilled about the school education on top of not having parents who are teaching you to be industrious you know teaching you here's how you fix a lawnmower go start a lawn mowing business and and that well they're not quite that age but yeah yeah i'm with you Uh, maybe they're getting close yeah you you were boys need to grow up you were mowing lawns at 12 years old weren't you um, I was mowing our yard at 12 years old. Okay, you weren't business mowing. Yeah, I couldn't drive. But we got a guy up the street that's not 12 years old that's, that's knocking right, on yeah. our door for that's money right. to yep. mow. Yeah. yeah so it, it's, we might not be there yet, but you know what I'm saying? Like those parents that are helping be industrious even outside of the classroom. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's it's, it's outside. So yeah, I was just so thinking. So it's not like, just a school is what I'm saying. It's across have, the board. If you have parents that are really uninvolved in their child's life, that they haven't, the child hasn't learned to imitate you in the previous stage of toddlerhood, and then they haven't learned like who they are in early school, and they're not learning education. These child, these children, are underdeveloped. Yeah, and so on the flip side of that, though, parents, if you are working hard to create a warm home, like the thing that children need most, it's so easy. It's to be loved. It's to be hugged. It's to be helped. Yeah, to wrap it up for this section, what we're saying is you're saying... To wrap it up for this section, what I'm saying is it could be really intimidating to hear all these things and then think I have to 
do this perfectly, X, Y, and Z. If I don't, if my kids don't meet their concrete operations, then they're going to be failures at life. Or if I don't perfectly, if I let them cry it out in their crib, then oh my gosh, they're I'm a horrible parent. But yeah, that's not. But I don't, I don't, I don't think we should. I don't think this is. This is never uh, failures a person or not failures a person. But this is something that hey, we as parents, all parents need to pursue these things. And yeah. if you don't do them perfectly. I just like, want there to be grace where it's like no parent is going to do these things perfectly. Right. right Every right, child right. is going to have some kind of issues. But I think the most important thing is that we love our children, that we nurture them well, and that we seek to understand their development that's and right. understand what, what need. needs. That's and right. So. That's right. And we pursue those things with our energy and uh but there's there's so much grace if you're hearing this for the first time and you're like oh my gosh my kids 11 and a half and i didn't know any of these things then it's like your kid's probably gonna be okay yeah that's right like i can think of my my mom be like oh wow jeepers i, I didn't know right <laughs> right and uh did and i you let know you what? cry too much as a baby <laughs> I, I, I would say. But, but he's okay now but it's right so yeah you there's grace. God is good, and He is in control That's right. of all things. And you could do time. all these things perfect, you know, as well as you could, and your kid really turn out rotten. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. then you could do them, you know, very poorly, and your kid turn out great. So it's not a, you know, proven right. Deal. And this is again it, a theory. A, it's a theory. We think it's pretty right on. Yeah, it just it, it seems to match up with experience. It seems to match up with, um, you know, what kids are going through, and and it's saying, hey, there's. There's a good development and a poor, a bad development. Yeah. And let's, as parents... Strive for the good. Let's strive for the good development. So I guess we'll All wrap right. the episode up there. Can I say one more thing that's a little bit irrelevant? Or like, I'm going to say it in the next one. Say it now. Let's hear it now. I'll say it in both. I think it's really important for parents to know that it is our responsibility as the parent to educate our children. And so... Absolutely. We... Like, it's not the school system's ed- job to educate our children. It's ours. And if we decide to hire the school system, a school, a teacher, to educate our children, that is wonderful. But it is never the teacher's responsibility. It is the parent's responsibility. And so I guess just as I, I was thinking about, like, this um, moral, the early moral development in the gender identification, if you're unhappy with what your kid is learning at school, then just keep in mind, like, you're not, um, like, enslaved to this teacher's. Like, you've hired the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can also fire the teacher and, you know, take your well, kid somewhere else. And Well, you can't yeah. fire him from the school. Well, but It might you, be tough. You could actually, you should probably try. But but I think it's, you know, you're in charge. You're responsible because God has made you responsible. But also, you bear the consequences. You know, your teacher, that teacher. They she's move. not. She's not only gonna be with them, or he's only gonna be with them for a year. Yeah, that's right. They move on. Who cares? They You're gonna care. love them and care for them forever. They're, their whole they're life. with you, the, you know, your whole life. Yeah. And so you bear the consequences. You have the responsibility. And uh, I would say, as parents, especially in this nation at this time, I feel like from all the news I've seen, and sometimes I get sucked in <laughs> too far. But um, we're huge proponents of parents in charge. They're making the choices of what happens. To their children. Yeah. And um, on that note, 
we're really good at ranting, and that's one of our topics we love to rant about. But on that note, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.